like to use for a text, Luke 23. I'm going to read over there at verse um, 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Forgiveness is very important. It is something which can hinder your life, and I've seen it hinder people's lives. It crippled them socially, morally, spiritually, and every other way. It is something that you and I have an out for if we'll just take it. Uh, it is something God has provided us so that we can live in this old world, enjoy our time here, and one of these days enjoy the benefits of everlasting heaven. In, G in the story here we use for our text, this is Jesus hanging upon the cross, and it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We'll look at this in other verses uh, just in a few minutes. Before we do, though, we want to use our privilege of prayer. If you will, on yourself in some fashion, while the brother selected words of prayer. This evening, we, the subject which we have for your consideration, I consider it to be very important. And the reason I guess I consider it to be very important is because I've seen Christians allow their life to be crippled, their spiritual vitality to be compromised because they could not forgive people. They couldn't recognize their responsibility to forgive these people who had wronged them or hurt them in some way. And therefore, I believe we need to understand a little bit more about this. Does God command us to forgive everyone that's done us wrong? That's what we're going to be talking about. And primarily now I'm talking about personal things. I'm not going to be talking about forgiving um, moral issues, someone that's done something that's uh, immoral. You can't. You have to do something about that. Our doctrinal issues, you know, this person needs violated the Lord's will. I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one things that people have done to you or things that have happened to you that um, need to be forgiven. Uh, the way we deal with each other, that's the way, maybe that's the way that I'd like to, to talk about it. I'm going to use the example of Jesus to begin with here this evening. While Jesus Christ is hanging upon the cross, let me tell you what else is going on. There's a mob going back in front of our Lord, and Jesus is hanging there, dying a most agonizing death. And right out here in the crowd, there's some people who benefited either directly or indirectly from the life of the Lord while he was here upon this earth. They've enjoyed the benefit of the loaves and fishes, or they received the healing power of Jesus, and now they walk back and forth, and they mock, and they scorn, and they ridicule the Lord. Uh, there are others standing off over there who are happy to see the Lord die because he's interrupted their style of life, and uh, they're happy to get rid of him. Uh, these people, they also mock and ridicule the Lord. And you know what he knew? He could have called for 12 legions of angels to swoop down to this old world and scour it of his enemies. But he didn't do that. Instead, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Now, do you know what Jesus did with that statement? Here's what he did. 1 Peter 2, verse 23, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, who judges righteously. You know what Jesus did? He turned this over to God. He turned it over to God who judges righteously. He took this off of his shoulders because he had enough to deal with and he turned it over to God. Right here, I generally call for a definition, so I'm just going to do it that way again. Suppose I were to ask you, what does the word forgive mean? Now, I've done this a few times just to get to how it worked. And I've asked people, what, is it, what does it mean to forgive? And I get a real interesting answer. Uh, you know, 
you know, you forgive somebody. What, what happens when you forgive them? Well, you forgive them. <coughs> now listen, people, you can say the word many times you want to. That's not a definition. Uh, what do you mean when you forgive them? Well, there are three words which are used by most uh, people who define this word. And I would like to put them up here. I mean, when you forgive someone, it's not the idea that you just forgive them. Uh, here's one of the best. Uh, you send it away. What do you do? You send it away. Or there's another way that this is looked at. You let it go. Let it go. What do you forgive them? Let it go. Or the third one, and I find this goes like this, you give it up. You give it up. Now, in one, each one of these, I guess you could say the end result is uh, this offense that you've suffered, uh, this thing that you think is so bad, you get rid of it. That's the whole idea. Who do you give it up to? God. Who do you let it go to? God. Who do you send it away to? God. That's what Jesus did. He gave it up. He let it go. He sent it away. Now, here's some very important questions I need to ask. Um, did Jesus forgive these people that are taking away his life and scorning him? Yes, he did. Did, he, did they ask for his forgiveness? No, they did not. Uh, did they repent for the murder of Jesus? No. Did God forgive them? No. They still have to answer to God. Now, that's the way that it worked. Jesus forgave them. Father forgave them. They didn't ask. They didn't repent. They had to deal with God, though. I find that's the way that it works. Now, people will tell me, oh, well, that was Jesus. You know, Jesus did a lot of things like that. Uh, Jesus was a, a God as well as man. Well, I have another example. And the other example that I have is found in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. Here we find a fellow by the name of Stephen and goes down and preaches to a bunch of Jews. And he got them so upset that these Jews stoned him to death. We're talking about Stephen. And while Stephen's being stoned to death, uh, there's a window which opens right into heaven. And by the way, I could talk a long time on this because this is one of my favorite subjects. This is the only place in the entirety of the Bible that the posture of Jesus in reference to God, Jesus is standing Everywhere else he is seated. The, uh, the opportunity Stephen has, he looks right into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now why is Jesus standing? Well, this is the first Christian martyr. This is the first human being that's dying for the cause of Christ. And our Lord is concerned. He's standing up. He's looking down there at Stephen being beat to death for his cause. You know what Stephen has to say? And this is interesting. Stephen says... Lord, in verse 60 of Acts 7, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Is that amazing to anybody but me? What's Stephen doing? Having a life being beat out of him? Uh, do these people uh, that, that are murdering Stephen, does he forgive them? Yes, he does. Did they ask for his forgiveness? No, they did not. Did they repent for stoning him to death? No, they didn't. Did God forgive them? No, they still have to answer to him. So what did Stephen do? He got this off of his shoulder. He sent it away. He let God have it. Uh, this is just another opportunity to get rid of something which might perplex him and allow him to take what he had to do and to do what he needed to do without the interference of any kind of unforgiveness. Now there are two examples, one by Jesus, one by Stephen, and we find out in both cases this is what we might call unconditional forgiveness. These people didn't ask for it. They didn't repent in order to get it. The person just forgave them. 
He didn't hold any grudges. He didn't seek any revenge. Now, there's an example there for us. You know, Jesus, and I believe the reason Jesus did, did was for an example for us. But there's a great benefit from this unconditional forgiveness. You know, in the, in the par, or this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches, he uses the word blessed is he that so-and-so, blessed is he so-and-so. You know what that word means? It literally means happy. Happy is a person who is in such a case. You know, I find that one of the greatest benefits that you and I as Christians have to be happy is to relieve ourselves of the burden of unforgiveness. To get rid of the grudges. To get rid of all those things which might hinder and hold us back. And the idea of um, being able to be happy includes the fact that you and I have to be merciful. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, mercy is something which includes forgiveness. You don't want to be happy in this life. You have to learn to forgive. When I was working on this lesson, I visited extensively with one of our brethren who's now died, who had spent 30 years counseling people who had hard things going on. Mostly he counseled children. And he told me, he said, you know, this is a hard job I have. He said, I get children that have all kinds of social and mental and uh, physical problems. He said, I get people, uh, especially children, that do not fare well in school. They do not get along with their peers. They're in all kinds of trouble. And he said, you know, if I can work the way down and get all the way down to the bottom of their problem, what I usually find is unforgiveness. Somebody has terribly hurt them. Somebody has done something with them that they can never forget. And he said, if that's an adult, that just adds to it. A child has a very difficult time forgiving an adult for abusing him. But he said, you know, if we can work that out, if we can flush that out to the surface, it is amazing what it does for people. He said, it is just amazing. This one time a person retarded in all sorts of social ways now can bloom forth like a flower because he's got that which held him back and hurt him so much out of his life. And he went on to explain that some people, never, they never get that because they have a strange attitude that by holding the grudge, they're punishing the perpetrator. And he said, you know better than that, don't you? And I said, I sure do. By holding the grudge, you don't punish the person who's hurt you. And a lot of times these people who've done all this ill to someone are dead already. They may have been dead for years. I don't care. I'll never forgive him. Yeah, but he's dead. I don't care. I'll never forgive him. You think he cares too? You think someone's been dead or is dead that they're worried about what you think about them? That's foolishness. <laughs> that person couldn't care less. And most of the time, the perpetrator, the one who's done the hurt, doesn't care anyway. So what are you doing if you hold a grudge against somebody like that? You know who you're hurting? Deborah, my little counselor daughter, she added a lot of things to this sermon. I'll tell you some of them as we come along. She said, you know, that idea is the idea that you can drink poison and your enemy will die. Is that the way it works? No, you only hurt yourself. You do not harm the person who's done you wrong. I find out, and uh, this is what the man told me. He said, you know, this uh, holding uh, grudges, that creates all kinds of trouble in people's lives. They have latent, now these are his words, he says they have latent anger. 
Latent anger stored up anger. He said they have a desire for revenge. They have resentment. They have hurt feelings. They have bitterness toward life. He said, you know, we live in a day and a time where we've got so much rage. You ever see anybody that was right under the surface all the time? Anybody who was mad all the time? Would you like to live like that? You think being mad all the time or just seething under the surface would make you a happy person? I've seen people like that. I know one person I always think about right now that if, I, if he was here, he'd be mad at something or somebody. What's wrong with somebody like that? Are they hurting anybody but themselves? This brother told me, he said, we got so much rage in our society, we got it named. We got perennial rage. We got spousal rage. We got adult rage. We got road rage. We got sport, sports rage. Isn't that something? People are so out of control. And he said it produces violence, depression, low esteem, unhappiness, lack of achievement, physical illness. You know, do you know suppressed unforgiveness can hurt you physically? It can create all kinds of physical situations. He said it makes people bitter. Now listen to these words. Harsh, coarse, spiteful, hateful. <coughs> Where did all I come from? I read a little book while I was studying this by a fellow by the name of Dr. Robert Enright. Dr. Enright is a doctor of educational psychology at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. And he did a study. He tried to figure out the benefits before and after the person forgave. Now, he admitted, now, that's why I like Dr. Enright's book. He said, you know, this is a very hard thing to gauge. He said, we had people who had all kinds of trouble, and we'd work with them, and then we'd try to gauge whether or not, uh, when they finally learned to forgive, how that affected them. And he said, it's mixed results, but here was his summation. He said, we believe that we help people to eliminate feelings of anxiety. We believe that we help people who had depression, and uh, by boosting their self-esteem, they begin to like themselves better and perform better. He said, we think we help that. But he said, I'll tell you one thing for sure. We helped them get some sleep. He said, the people who are holding this grudge have a hard time sleeping. Have you ever in your personal life laying awake in your bed three o'clock in the morning and you're laying there wide-eyed thinking about what somebody has done to you? Have you ever done that? Now, what's happening then? Uh, Dr. Enright went on to say, we ought not allow people like that to occupy one teaspoon of our brains. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but most of the people that I know uh, don't have a teaspoon full of brains to waste. And you sure don't want to let somebody occupy it with something that's bad for you. So he said, we taught them, if you're laying there awake, this is interesting too from a doctor, ask God to forgive them, roll over and go to sleep. Just ask God to forgive them and roll over and go to sleep. And he said, we know that has worked. And it will work. If that's a problem that you have, the best thing you can do is pray for that person and ask God to forgive them, and then you go on about your business.
This is dismissed from you. You've turned this loose. And now you're on your way to better things. Does God command us such stuff as this? Here's a verse that I really wasn't acquainted with until I studied this idea. Mark 11, verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Our brother just a minute ago mentioned this in prayer. We will be forgiven the way we forgive. Uh, he says, if you've got anything, anything, yeah, against anyone, anyone, yes. Do they have to ask for your forgiveness? No. Do they have to repent for what they've done? No. You forgive them. Now they're still answerable to God. We don't want to forget that. But you see what that does for you? You're through and done with it. It's over for you. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, along about here, uh, somebody always asks me about, what about uh, Matthew chapter 18? Huh? What about Matthew chapter 18? You know, Matthew ch uh, chapter 18, it tells us how to deal with someone who's offended us. And here's what you do. You go to them, you have a little talk, and try to get this straightened out. They don't want to straighten it out. So you get two or three brethren, go back with you, and uh, they talk it over the brethren. They don't want to do anything. So you take it before the church. What about that? Listen, people. That's for the offender. That's for the perpetrator. You've already done yours. You've already forgiven. Now what are we trying to do? We're trying to get him to repent. The perpetrator now we're talking about, and you and I have already done our part of forgiveness, and we're ready to move on. You know, I learned a long time ago to pay attention to little words. Do you pay attention to little words in the Bible? A lot of times the little words are the most important one. You remember the prayer of example that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6? You know, his disciples came to him and he said, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus began, Our Father which art in heaven. Well, you know, they got to a certain place. Now listen, because I'm going to read it. And you see if you can tell what word is most important in this phrase. Uh, in Matthew 6, I'll start at verse 12. He says this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For if you forgive men their debts, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Did you see the most important word? What's right there in the first verse? Lead us not into temptation. Or, no, verse 12. Forgive us our debts. Here it is. As... We forgive our debtors. You know what the word as means? You know, we had a president a few years ago, didn't know what is he is. But I know what as is. As, look here, as means like. Now, are you sure you want to pray that? What do we do? We forgive our debtors like we want to be forgiven as we are to be forgiven. Uh, that's what Jesus tells us. We will be forgiven as we forgive our debtors, like we forgive our debtors. In other words, we're going to be forgiven like we forgive. You want it that way? You might ought to think about it if you're one of these that's bad to hold a grudge because that may be the way it works for you. I find this is something which we need to be concerned about. Uh, you know what the longest, par longest parable in the Bible is? Well, for your information... It's found over in Matthew chapter 18. 
Uh, it is a parable, which we call uh, usually call the parable of uh, the unforgiving servant. Or I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to read most of it because it's here we're going to get our last points. In Matthew chapter 18, I'll start reading at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven. You all remember what the kingdom of heaven is? We talked about it this past week. It's the Lord's church. Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18. The kingdom of heaven is the church. He says, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now this servant is brought into his master and this servant owes 10,000 talents. I tried to find out how much money in American money that would be. It's impossible because there's not enough information given. We don't know if this is a Greek talent or Roman talent. We don't know if it's gold or silver. But everybody agrees that 10,000 talents was a tremendous amount of money if you figured the lowest way it could be figured. It's generally figured, and my, I was looking at it again, as being in excess of 100,000 U.S. dollars. That's a lot of money. This man owes a lot of money. He comes to his master, owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not uh, to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. When the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence is about twenty dollars. This man who's just been forgiven $100,000 goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who owes him 20 bucks. Now look what happens. And took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. Isn't that unbelievable? He has no mercy for his fellow servant. <coughs> pay me the $20 you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wrought and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that he was due unto him. So likewise, and listen, so likewise shall heavenly Father do also unto them, if ye from your hearts forget not every one his brother their trespasses. I think that's amazing. I want to remind you all of something. Do you know we owe a great debt? We owe a debt more than we'll ever be able to pay. We'll never be able to pay the debt that we owe. The debt is to Almighty God for the gift of his only begotten Son. Our debt is the blood of Jesus Christ taken upon the cross. Our debt is a sacrifice for all of mankind for the forgiveness of our sins. Now then, since we owe such a debt, can't we have a little mercy on our brother? Can't we have a little forgiving spirit for our brother considering what we've received? That's the teaching he gives us here. He says this man didn't. He said deliver him to the tormentors deliver him to the tormentors, he couldn't forgive a $20 debt. 
I think that tells us a great deal. We find out that the king recognizes this as a wicked servant, that he has no compassion, that he did not appreciate what he had received, and he delivered him to the tormentors. You know, I find, and this is sort of going to be a, a summary of some of these things, um, what do we have to do? What is required of us? Well, we have to forgive. The Bible says in Luke 6, verse 37, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Mark 11, verse 26, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. Deborah told me this. She said to forgive is to set a, a, a prisoner free. And you'll discover the prisoner's you. She said, forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves. And I believe that is the case. Do they have to ask for your forgiveness? I've been appalled at some of our brethren. We have brethren that are so hoity-toity about this. They believe if somebody's done something to them, he's got to come back and fall down at their feet and grovel for his forgiveness. I don't know what a brother's thinking about. Can he forgive him? Well, who does he think he is? Uh, that is something which is uh, amazing to me. Uh, you don't have to be asked by someone to forgive them. Uh, it's not something they have to do anything about, and you're still responsible to forgive them. Of course, the person or the, the one who's done the bad is still answerable to God. So, do you have to forgive? Yes, we do. Does the offender have to ask for your forgiveness? No, he does not. Does the offender have to repent for what he's done to you? No, he doesn't. Does God have to forgive him? No, he still deals with God. He's still going to deal with God. One year I was in California, and I have a lot of friends in California. This is one of the perks of preaching as long as I have. I got a house full of friends here this evening. And the same way out in California, I got a house full of friends out there. I'm going to go see the good Lord willing at the end of this month or the end of, March, of April. And um, we were just getting ready to start services. And I looked out and saw one of my old friends coming. I almost dreaded to see him. He tall, like he got a little bit older than I am. And here he came in a long stride, and he's coming right for me. And it's time to go. And he comes walking up, and he said, uh, Joe, Joe, hey, 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 I want to tell you something. And I said, now it's time to start services. Is this one of them long-winded tales that you're famous for? Oh, no, no, he said, short, short. So I said, okay, just make it quick. And here's what he told me. He said uh, a couple of hundred years ago, there was an old Indian sitting out beside of his teepee, it's always an old Indian with this guy. Old Indian sitting outside the teepee, and he got his little grandson sitting on his lap. And he's teaching the little boy about life. And he's teaching the little boy that life is full of struggles and hard times sometimes. And here's the way that he's doing it. He says, uh, son, said, um, it's like having two wolves in your chest. Wolves. And he said, um, one of these wolves is um, bad. He's real bad. Uh, he has no compassion. He's mean. He has no sympathy. He's envious and jealous and evil speaking. There's nothing good about him. But the other wolf is compassionate. He's loving. He's kind. He's sympathetic. 
He's good in every way. And they're having a huge fight in your chest. <coughs> the little boy looked at his grandpa and he said, well, grandpa, which one of them wins? And the old man said, the one that you feed. Now listen, folks. We have enough complications with life, and life is short, as I've said two or three times, without encouraging the bad, without feeding the mean and the ugly and the angry. Don't feed that wolf. Feed the good one. That's the way that you'll have the better life that all of us want in Christianity. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.